Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Word on the Hill podcast with the Lanky Guys. We are uh, Lanky Guy 1 and 2. My name is Father Peter Bussett. My name is Scott Howell. And do you know that whenever I say Lanky Guy 1 or 2, I think of um, Thing 1 and Thing 2? With the the number one and the number two. The Dr. Seuss things? Yeah, I almost kind of wish we had those outfits. Do you? I mean, I don't. They exist. I mean, I'm, I'm sure we can get some. I don't, and I do. What would we? I think it's creepy if we're just sitting in the basement by ourselves, dressed up in the thing one it's and like, two costumes. It's like cosplay, like on we a could, podcast on the radio. Nobody know. Nobody has to know. Maybe we were wearing. Maybe them right we're now. wearing them right now. Yeah, maybe we are. I mean, we could do it for Halloween, I guess. Cosplay is strange, man. You know, sounds you, like it. You know, I keep on encouraging Father Sean to try to make cosplay being costume costume play. play. Is that what that's short? Yeah, part? so that's like for like Comic Con. So what you do is you put on like a like a comic book character outfit or like a your favorite animated show kind of thing. Okay, and uh, I keep on. Have encouraging, you done this? No, oh. I mean I keep on encouraging Father Sean though to like make his own Iron Man suit or. Is he a big fi- fan of Iron Man? I yeah, am. we had a conversation the other day of like, if you were a superhero, who would you choose to be? Okay. And then we had the conversation of who would you choose the other person to be? Ooh. And uh, F- Father Sean put me as Ant-Man. I was going to say that. <laughs> <laughs> I really was. Dude, that's awesome. Not for any good reason. But I Gosh, just... I have to think about who, I, who, who you would be. I'm going to hang out with that and maybe we'll figure it out during I'm the I'm not podcast. sure who you would be either. You just said Ant-Man. No, I thought Father Sean would say that. Oh. I'm not saying it. You're not saying it. No, no. You thought, dude, that's very meta of you, man. man. Sort of. All right. Well, anyway, (laughs) that being said, it's the 11th Sunday of Ordinary Time. So our first reading today. We'll see if this applies somehow. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> is, is Zeke uh, seventeen twenty two to twenty four? Do you know any pe- people named Zeke? No, but I really want to. I have one. I have a friend named Zeke. Dude, oh, hold on, Olivia, Olivia Dubois. Steer. Steer. Yeah, Steer. Zeke. Zeke. I don't know Zeke as well as I wish I did. But every time Zeke I'm around, Steer, now, I'm dude. like, man, I wish I knew you better. But he lives in California. Do so you know that's what? I, do you know what I love about Zeke Steer? His name. Uh, dude, that's a powerful name. That's a powerful name. Like two, th- it feels like a band name. It's an alias superhero name, like Clark Kent, like Zeke, Zeke Steer, Steer, right? Oh, it I is. I wonder who he is, dude. Is he just doing cosplay <laughs> in <laughs> his own seven. name, twenty four seven? All right. Did you say the reading? Ezekiel <laughs> of the E seventeen twenty two to twenty four. Okay. Uh, our responsorial psalm is Psalm ninety two verses two through three. 13 through 14, and 15 through 16. And the response itself is coming from 2A. 2A or 2B? Or not 2A. Ah. Mm. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 through 10. Okay. And our gospel is, because we're in year B, coming from the gospel of Mark, which is what we do in year B, because the second gospel. See what I'm saying? Yep. Anyway, year B, uh, Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 34. Lots of parables today. Par- parabolic. You, dude. A parabola. I wonder if I don't the, think they're related etymolo- etymologically. I mean, they they're they're homophonically. They're associated. homophonically related. I, maybe they're etymologically related. I can't think of how. Dude, how many people Google that right parabola. when we're talking? Uh, Carrie Floyd. I'm guessing nobody. Oh, maybe Carrie. <laughs> Carrie's doing it. <laughs> Thus <laughs> says the Lord God. Okay. okay. Dude, there's a lot of tree stuff happening here. There's a lot of tree stuff happening. Um, in all of these, there, there's there's um. I, I feel like it's a treat. Do you? Mm, <laughs> that's interesting. 
you know how when you're for whatever reason your your mind is orientated in a particular direction and then you see a particular theme in everything yeah i feel like the theme that i've been seeing in all of the readings like for the last however many weeks because i feel like it keeps coming up in the way i read these is the whole concept of the the paradigm of already but not yet right hmm. And I'm seeing that in all of them. And I think some of them are more explicit than others. But it's all these already but not yet, which is the state that Christians live in, right? We are already redeemed by Jesus. Right. But we've not yet experienced the fullness of that, which we'll experience at the end when Jesus comes again. But all of these readings sort of have a, a layer of that. So a reading from Ezekiel, Ezekiel... Um, the context for Ezekiel, if you remember, is during the exile. So Ezekiel is a contemporary or, or around the time of Isaiah and kind of Jeremiah and those guys. Yeah. But whereas Isaiah and Jeremiah are these books about foretelling the destruction of Jerusalem and this big punishment that's coming and the exile and being hauled off to Babylon, Ezekiel sees it from the other side. So from they the kind heavenly of, side? Well, sort of. He sees it. So Ezekiel is one of the slaves taken to Babylon in exile. He's taken away in exile. And in the beginning of the book, it says he's sitting by the river Shabar, and he's, it's actually, remember the Bob Marley song? By the rivers of Babylon. Yeah. It's partially related to this, partially related to Ezra and Nehemiah. But he's sitting by the river Shabar in Babylon, having been taken into exile, and he sees sort of a, 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 spir- a supernatural, a, a divine vision. God allows him an insight from the heavenly perspective on what's happening back home. In Mm. Jerusalem and what the sort of theological reasoning and everything is. So he's already in exile, but he's seeing all these things taking place. So he's the one that sees the vision while he's in Babylon of the presence of God leaving the tabernacle and departing from the temple just before the temple is destroyed and all that stuff. Right. So he witnesses this stuff that's happening from a theological point of view. And one of the, the most important images for Ezekiel, it comes in the very beginning of the book. It's of God showing up on these burning chariot wheels. Do you remember that one? Yes. And that's kind of the, the marked first vision of Ezekiel, which is implying, okay, we're off in exile. We've been taken away from our homeland. We've been taken away from the place where God dwells in the temple. But what God is trying to show Ezekiel, for Ezekiel to show everybody else, is that God is not, um, God is not restrained by his house. God is not restrained by his holy city. God is mobile, and that's why he's shown these chariot wheels. Because, hey, God can actually accompany us even in our exile. Yes, we've been hauled off. Yes, we've lost the temple. Yes, we've lost these trappings that remind us of who we are in relationship with God. But that doesn't mean that God is gone. God can accompany us. And so he's actually charged to give this message of hope to the exiles who are falling into a great deal of hopelessness. And so here in 17, he's looking forward. And again, they're in exile. They're in slavery. They've lost Jerusalem. They've lost the temple. They've lost everything. And they're like, what do we do? And he sees this vision. He says, thus says the Lord God, I too will take from the crest of the cedar. Remember, Israel is oftentimes in the Old Testament described either as a vineyard or a tree. Those are kind of the two go-to metaphors for what Israel is. So he says, I'm going to take from the crest of the cedar its topmost branches, and I'm going to cut off a tender shoot. And I will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain of the heights of Israel, I will plant it, and it shall put forth branches and bear fruit and become a majestic cedar. Birds of every kind shall dwell beneath it, every winged thing in the shade of its boughs, and the trees of the field shall know that I, the Lord, bring low the high tree, lift high the lowly tree, wither up on the green tree, and make the withered tree bloom. As I, the Lord, have spoken, so I will do. 
And what that means is everyone's saying, oh, the tree that is Israel has been cut down. We've lost it. It's gone. This tree that God has been nurturing. But God's like, look, I can take from that felled, 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 felled. tree. It, it's actually, we're getting a parallel of what I, Isaiah is told, right? A tender shoot. Well, this is what we, what's so cool is, is as I'm looking at this, I mean, we, we uh, if any of you have ever done your family tree, mm. Um, sometimes, you know, if you're on ancestry, whatever, it's going to invert and you're going to be the bottom most point. But in reality, the, the, a tree, how does it grow? It grows upwards. You have a trunk and then it goes up. And so you says, okay, well, I'm going to take the topmost branch, mm, yeah. which we can see is the, the full expression of the tree contained in a blossom. Well, what does it actually call it? It calls it the crown. The crown. And it's. Gonna... Oh, yeah. Some translate, it says crest here, but some translations call it the crown. Right. Of the tree. Right. The crown of the tree. And I'm going to take that and I'm going to plant it and it's going to become a tree that bears fruit. I mean, if you if you can't see in that Jesus Christ bearing fruit in the Eucharistic the life, king, the king, the, shoot, the crown, the shoot, the, the tender shoot, the, 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 the shoot that comes forth from the stump, right, that Isaiah talks about. Right. And a lot of trees here. Yeah, so it's it's really it's like it's a really direct typological reference to Jesus Christ and the Eucharist and then the tree of the cross and the tree of life now. Mm. I mean, it's like it's interesting so because much. it's 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 like so cool. And what I like is that there there's a there's um the, then we see in in it the magnificat of Mary. Oh, and, I, that's the best part I right. think about this. Keep going with it. Well, so the I, I'm you, you got to be reminded as you read this what what's the theme? It's not just of the Magnificat. It's sort of number one how God works in general, and it's the theme of the God the Gospel of Luke in particular and the Gospels in general. This idea that God will you know the God who has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. He's filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. The reversals of what you think ought to happen. Right. And what he's saying here in a certain sense is the great tree that was Israel got fat and lazy and selfish and prideful, and it was cut down. This great, profound, wealthy, powerful-seeming tree was now brought low. And what God is going to do is bring up something that looks like great humility, the right. shoot, the tender shoot out of the stump. But that's going to be a tree so grand, it actually says, birds of every kind shall dwell beneath it, which you've got to see the parallel, or at least I'm seeing the parallels of, that's sort of representing all of the different nations that will come to this tree and dwell within it. Israel became, at one point in the Old Testament, very nationalistic, and they were all about themselves. They didn't want to be evangel evangel evangelical. <laughs> evangelical in the sense of teaching the rest of the nations who Yahweh was. And as such, they were cut down. But this new tree that's going to rise out of humility, that's going to be greater than any tree they ever imagined before, is going to be one that all of the birds, i.e. all of the nations, will come and dwell beneath. And which, that's actually us. Well, well, here, which is interesting because, okay, what is a bird? A bird is... <laughs> the all ornithological on me. A bird is and the animal that goes into the highest heights. Okay. A bird soars far above the trees. Yes. So in a certain sense, it's uh, pointing towards, okay, they're going to find shade, but so that it may ascend the heights. Ooh. So, so, the, so the, the, and, and so we, we oftentimes see, and we talk about like the gospel of John as the, yes. 
his symbol is the bird. Yeah, the soaring because he soars. Because he soars, he goes to the highest heights. Yes. But then, how? Do, but then, this branch will be the source of refuge that allows that bird to go to the highest heights to find the rest that it needs. So it's in a certain sense, it's like a theological sense. Also, by the way, I, I, I'm seeing this that um, the <laughs> thank you. <laughs> don't for, point that finger at me. Don't point that finger at me. Um, is a uh, is that uh, when David says, um, "I'm going to build you, uh, uh, I'm going to build you a house. I'm mm. in a house of cedar." Mm, absolutely. And so, in a certain sense, we're seeing like there there is a judgment in a certain sense of this house of cedar. Yes. Oh yeah. Oh, ooh, that's good. Yeah. David's house. Literally. David. David's house. Yes. And and this, the, the Lord of my lords will. He, he, so it's yeah, an yeah. expression of Div, Div, Davidic kingdom, and at the same time, a judgment on the Davidic kingdom. Absolutely. But here's the other thing that I keep coming back to and and being struck by. Um, I'll use this. I'll use this analogy. So up at Camp Voitiwa, where you know we are this summer. Uh, on the road up to Camp Voitiwa, you know, as you're coming up the camp road, the dirt road itself, and you look off toward the east, there was a big forest fire that took place years ago. Remember where it's all bare on that um, ridge? Yeah. Um, that fire took place, I think, when I was a little kid, which means that, that fire is like 25 or 30 years old. And yet wow. it still looks pretty fresh, right? I mean, there's right. there's things, there's green that's coming back. But I guess the point I'm trying to make is if you cut down a tree – it takes a really long time to grow that tree again, right? Right, without cultivation. Without cultivation. So the tree of Israel is getting cut down. And on a certain level, you know, we can look and be like, oh, the church, of course, is this new tree. But it doesn't always feel like it's fully bloom. Like We're still kind of in the middle, right? We're still not, we haven't fully arrived. The church is the full manifestation of this tree. Right. But it's still growing, and God is still actually using this tree to keep drawing in the nations. It takes a long time for that little shoot to grow into the giant tree. And so far, it's taken 2,000 years for the church to get to the point where we are. And God is still cultivating. I mean, you talked about cult, you know cultivation. But he is spiritually cultivating us in a certain sense. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it takes some patience, I guess, is the thing I keep coming back to, right? Which is what relates to the, the gospel reading and the second really reading especially. But I mean, poor exiles, poor Ezekiel, who are hearing this amazing news about what is to come, but you're probably not going to see it. You get to die with the assurity that God is going to build his people back up and grow this tree, but it's going to take a while to do that. Right, which get which gets us to our psalm. It does actually. The just one shall flourish like the palm tree, like a cedar of Lebanon shall he grow. They that are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Now, here's what I think is interesting about the psalm. So, the first reading seems to imply that this tree is the kingdom, right? It's a great nation. But what is the psalm implying that the tree is? It's a vineyard in the house of the Lord. I mean, no. it's a, it, planted in the house of the Lord. They shall flourish in the courts of our God. So it's going to be, the, I don't know. It's it's an it, well. Let's. Read I mean, it I don't know what you're trying to get at. I know what it is. It's fascinating because you jumped you jumped to the second stanza in this, which is actually where I wanted to go, because what you read was the just one will flourish like a palm tree, like a cedar of Lebanon, he shall grow. Mm. And they, those people that are planted in the house of the Lord, shall flourish in the house of our, in the courts of our God. Yes. So the first reading is pointing toward, hey, this giant, this tree is going to be a whole kingdom and a nation. And then the psalmist is saying, actually, the tree that God is growing, yes, he is growing the tree that will become the church, but he's also growing you. 
the individuals, the Christian, the believer is the tree mm. who is being cultivated, who is to be the one. We are supposed to be the tree that all of the nations will find refuge in. We are supposed to be the light to the world, right? The city on a hill. It's a both and because we are grafted onto the capital T tree, which is the church. Which is Jesus. Which is Jesus. That's the other. Th- there's like three layers of meaning in the psalm, right? Right. The he, the just man. Well, who is the just man? Well, Jesus is the just man. But we are. And so are we because we're, we're grafted onto him. Yeah. So it's all of these. I love the beauty of the psalm because it's saying, no, it's it's not quite as cut and dry as you thought it was. It's not just. And really, that's the problem of Old Testament Israel is that everyone seems to it's almost a cop out to be like, well, the kingdom made the mistakes and the kings did these things and the nation was unrighteous. It doesn't really have anything to do with me. And what the new covenant has tried to show us, you know, with a vengeance is that, no, you make up the kingdom. The kingdom is not this distant reality of a bunch of royalty who lives in cedar palaces. It is you. God is cultivating you as a tree yes. to be grafted onto the big tree that is the kingdom of God. Yes. But it is not something other than you. It's not something outside of you. It's actually growing within you, which is, I think, really important information in the divine revelation that the people of the Old Testament doesn't necessarily have yet. Mm. Which I just think is kind of beautiful yes. because it's really easy to be like, oh, man, the church is this or that. Or, you know, those people over there are doing this or that. And we don't want to make it about us. No, no. How am I actually letting myself be cultivated as God's tree? Am I letting him grow me? I mean, a tree, this is the beauty of a tree. A tree can't fight back if the gardener is trying to cultivate it and grow it or prune it or do whatever else. Our challenge is that we're these trees that God is trying to grow and cultivate that want to fight back when he tries to prune us. We don't want to take the water when he tries to give it to us. I mean, can you imagine a tree trying to get away from the water that the gardener's trying to give it? But we're, that's a weird metaphor. I mean, I, I'm, I'm hanging with it. But I, I think that's kind of the beauty of this, is well, that no, this is you as well. Well, which is so cool because it gets us to the last stanza, which says, they mm. shall bear fruit even in old age. Vigorous and sturdy shall they be, declaring how just is the Lord my rock in whom there is no wrong. Hmm. That there's, that that it, it's they and then he. Yes. And it's, it keeps going back and forth between that, doesn't r- right. it? Right. And, and so it's, I mean, and, and, and I also think like, how do you increase the, the growth of a tree? You graft stuff on. That's absolutely. That's, ar- that's already been growing. And you prune stuff off. Right. Those so are both, it, they both have to happen for the a tree to grow fan. well. They're both fan. The both of them. Which is the analogy that Paul uses in Romans chapter 9 about how Israel is this tree that God has been growing. There's some branches that he cut off because they were unfaithful and they weren't bearing fruit. And he grafted some on, even though they were wild and the Gentiles who came from out of nowhere. And that's how God is growing and nurturing the tree. But yeah, it's a both and. Mm-hmm. Which does take us to 2 Corinthians, which is the one that seems like, well, I want to this see, I want to see you connect this. All right. That, Absolutely. Because I can't, I mean, I Boom, can, bring it on. Okay, bring it on. Challenge, you challenge me? Yeah. All right. <laughs> in your face. <laughs> in your face. <laughs> I was, I was just thinking for a second i was like you know what's so cool about about what we do here what we make fun of each other a lot yeah everybody gets gets to do this yes literally what? all you have to do is find a friend who oh really, this you yeah mean. this yeah. like to have a conversation about the scriptures yeah like all it really means is you just find friends and talk about the scriptures it it's it like it changes everything our, our conversations that we have change my life through the week likewise and and like it's always this content of how the lord is doing it this isn't spiritual direction this isn't anything it's just 
you know what? I bring the, the amount of knowledge that I have to this and you bring the amount of knowledge that you have to this and we have a conversation and that's like all we have to do. We don't you don't have to have stupendous knowledge about things. It does help <laughs> as you as you grow in knowledge over time in the scriptures, but you can just come to it with your own heart and yeah. be transformed and that's what's like this is that's not rocket havarim. science. It's the havarim, which is how the ancients all I mean the, the, I think for the ancient Jews, there was a time and a place for studying scripture just quietly by yourself in your room. Right. But I think for the ancient Jews, the thought that that's the only context, like I'm just going to go quietly read scripture by myself. Well, aren't you going to come back and argue it and debate it with everybody else? Like, where's your group? Where's your Havarim? Where are the people that you spiritually hold you accountable that you argue with this over and, and debate and, and throw right, out ideas right. and try to grab, um, sharpen each other as you, as you discuss the scriptures? The scriptures are not meant to be the solo reality with your door shut, you know, all alone. They're meant, number one, to be in the context of the liturgy. That's their proper home. But when they're given to us in the context of the liturgy, they're meant both for us to take and pray with. But then to come back and be like, all right, let's. What does this mean? Let's talk about it. And th- and that's which is so beautiful. Wh- which is the danger <clears throat> of what we do, is that you can just take the podcast and go in your room alone and experience yeah. it. But we're mm-hmm. trying to include you in the conversation. Exactly. We're not talking at you guys, or at least we're trying not to talk at you. No, because what we're trying to do is we're, we're trying to propel you into the believing community. Right. I want to challenge you this weekend to have a conversation outside of mass behind the church or out of the door of the church with somebody about one of the readings. Bring something up to somebody and and have Boom. a havarim at your church. Talk about what, what moved you in the scriptures. Speak of, 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 of what's... Don't just talk about the, the stuff that's going on in pop culture mm. or, I, I mean, or if in your lives, contextualize the thing that's happening in your lives in relationship to the reading to somebody at mass who doesn't normally talk about the scriptures. And how many times, you know, do we go have donuts after mass or whatever? And you're talking about sports or maybe like church polity. Who knows what you're talking about? How, how stupid you, the priest homily how was. How stupid the priest homily was. That's my, that's my my people do that. No, they do not. I Don't know. be self-deprecating. But I mean, how often do we say, hey, did, did that was a weird first reading, wasn't it? Like, what do you think about it? I mean- we have so many churches have fellowship built in, right? But we don't talk about any of the things that matter. We talk about all the superfluous stuff. So that's a good challenge. And I know that families will do this in in church. There's a few people who listen to podcasts and they'll they'll go home and they'll say, "Hey, what did you guys get out of the readings yeah. today?" Or yeah. or on the way to church, they'll talk about, "Hey, what did you you know read the readings together and say yeah. what do you think the priest is going to talk about?" <laughs> <laughs> that's got to be fun in our parish. Yeah, that would. Be, uh, <laughs> what do you think Brother Peter's going to say? What do you think? Okay, so okay, now, now I want. So Second the gauntlet has been thrown. Second Corinthians, I think, is is very beautifully related, in particular to the first reading. So, brothers and sisters, we're always courageous. Well, let me let me set it up. And we talked about this. Well, I talked about it last week in my solo. I don't remember how long we've been in Second Corinthians, so I can't remember if we've discussed it. But don't know. the context for Second Corinthians never been attacked by tree. Ah, uh, uh, karate kid too. You don't. You kind of take the fun out of it when you name it. <laughs> Right? Isn't that the game? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Unreal. Okay. Um, context for Second Corinthians is this. Paul wrote First Corinthians, which is not the first letter he wrote because he actually cites a previous letter. Anyway, there's a long correspondence between Paul and the Corinthians, and most of it's pretty messy. Right? So First Corinthians, it's this wild letter in which he excommunicates somebody. He calls them all babies. He, you know, he calls <laughs> them out. He says they're not wise. It's, it's, it's a pretty rough letter. First Corinthians is tough, right? Right. Um, they apparently wrote a letter back to him that we don't have that was not good. And they got pretty ticked off at Paul. for Because as human beings, we don't like to be called out. We don't like to be excommunicated. We don't like to be called babies. Even, you know, and I was, uh, I was working with a, 
I forget what the context was, but I was, we were doing a, st- oh, this was the focus team last year and we were doing a study on first Corinthians. And I was like, can you imagine if you had, if Archbishop Aquila sent a pastoral letter to be read to the congregation of St. Thomas Aquinas, where he said the things that Paul is saying to that congregation. I was like, can you imagine? He's like, you're a bunch of babies who don't have any wisdom and you're way big on yourselves and you shouldn't be. I mean, there's the things he's saying. And oh, by the way, that guy, he's excommunicated. And you guys are in deep sin and you need to get out of here. I mean, if you put it in context, like this is a pastoral letter from Paul to his congregation. You're like, holy mackerel. Oh. And then all of a sudden you're like, yeah, I can see why people would be on the defensive a little bit. They'd be so, like, did you just send that to us, punk? Yeah. And, and the, their whole problem is that they're already big on themselves. So you take a people who already don't like being corrected, and then you take a really prideful people who don't like being corrected. So anyway, uh, they basically- it, That's like kitchen nightmares with Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. What are you? I'm an idiot sandwich. <laughs> when he puts the bread on the lady's head. Anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway, they're not happy. They come back. And you get the impression that a lot of the leaders in, first, in Corinth are saying, hey, Paul, he's no credibility. Who does he think he is? He d- he's calling us all these things. Paul is nothing. And so they attack him. So Paul writes 2 Corinthians to defend himself from the attacks that they've leveled at him because of 1 Corinthians. Does that all make sense? Yes, it does. And the attack that they've leveled is essentially this. You have no right to really tell us anything, Paul. You are not a legitimate apostle. You have no real, you're not a real disciple. You're not a real apostle and you have no authority. Do you know why? Do you remember this? No. Their main reason? Because you suffer. Because you're a disaster. Like, look at the Old Testament. You had Moses came down a mountain glowing with the word of God, right? You, he's like, you're short. You don't speak well. You're balding. You're always thrown in prison. You're usually sick. You have terrible health. You're getting beat up. You're shipwrecked. Like, you are a disaster, Paul. And if you were really an apostle, you'd look a little bit better than you do. And you probably wouldn't be constantly beat up. And so Paul has to respond to these charges leveled against him that he's not legitimate because he's being beat up and imprisoned and exiled and all these different things. And so I love 2 Corinthians because Paul, on, number, on one level, he's defending himself. But on a second level, it's actually the, some of the most beautiful spiritual reading I can think of because he's literally working through with them saying, yeah, I am getting really beat up. I am constantly getting attacked. Why? What is God doing through that? And what does that actually say about my apostleship? And he comes to the conclusion that, no, my resume as an apostle is precisely because I'm getting beat up, because Christ has allowed me to participate with him in those sufferings, to carry that cross in that way. And so, anyway, give that whole context, because what he talks about in this section is basically how his exile and his getting beat up is not all that there is. There's more than meets the eye. It looks like, for Paul, I as a tree have been cut down and thrown into the fire. But there's more to that because the tree is still growing. Again, he doesn't use the tree metaphor, but to go back to the first reading, he's like, there's more than what you can see. You exiles Mm. in Ezekiel, you're living in Babylon. You feel like all is lost. But I'm telling you, that God has plans for the future. There's more than what you can see. And if you can just be patient and have faith and wait it out and cling close to God, then he's going to do things that you can never dream of. And so Paul goes on and he says, hey, look, we're always courageous. And although we know that while we're at home in our body, we're far from the Lord. Our bodies are getting beat up. Now, he's not Gnostic. He's not saying the body's bad. But he's like, look, it's hard because we're living on this earth. We're kind of strangers and sojourners. We can't see God clearly. We're far from him. 
four, he says, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yet we are courageous. We can be courageous and we would rather leave the body and go home to the Lord. Therefore, we aspire to please him, whether we're at home or whether we're away. For we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each may receive recompense according to what he did in the body, whether good or evil. I had a bunch of things thrown at me. I had a bunch of exiles that I had to endure and beatings and sickness and everything else. But there's more to me than that. And there's more to what God is doing than that. And there's going to come a day where I have to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And he's going to say, these are the things that have happened to you. What did you do with them? Did you sit and complain and say, everything is horrible and God must hate me and I hate God in exchange because all of these sufferings have befallen me? Or did I say, no, I was courageous and I took it because I knew that there was more than met the eye and I knew that suffering would not have the final answer. Just like Ezekiel is trying to tell the exiles, your exile is not the end of the story. There's more to it. God has wheels. He's on the move. He's with you and he can take you out of this. I is basically what Paul is saying. I am the tree. And I feel cut down, but I'm trusting that God is cultivating me in ways that I can't even see and neither can you. And, and it will produce a flower. And what's the flower? The fruit that it's bearing is actually, Paul makes the argument, the fruit that it bore, my sufferings, my getting beaten, my pruning, is the church in Corinth. You're the fruit that my suffering produced. So essentially, by trying to call me a terrible leader and not an apostle, you're cutting off the branch that you're sitting on. Right. Look, you are the fruit that my sufferings have borne, and yet the fruit that came out of my suffering are making fun of the tree that gave them life mm. in a certain sense. Yes. Which is, so So I do think it, it connects. It takes a little work to get there. You got to understand the context. Yes. But I think Paul's right there. That's really powerful. I think powerful. Paul gets this. Yeah. I thought of a really great creative writing exercise would be to pretend to be the church at Corinth and respond to first Corinthians and send a letter back (laughs) that would allow you allow Paul's response. Oh man. I mean, it exists. It's, I mean, we don't have, it's not excellent. No, no, that's what I'm saying. What did they, yeah. It's just like what, like to pretend to write that response and then see how it goes back and forth. That would be a really, that'd be a, Interesting exercise. An, it would be really, it would really be pretty wild. I mean, there's some oh. deep stuff that you're saying right there that is like really close uh, for comfort. Like, yeah, like wow. I mean, how easily do we dismiss the difficult realities that shape our our existence? Yeah, and not say like, oh no, this is actually a fruit. Like you say, mm. patience. I mean, patience comes from the same root that allows us to uh, to say suffer. Somebody is mm. a patient in a doctor's office, or to be patient a with patient. something, mm. um, is 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 the same root. And so, in huh. saying, be patient. Huh. I didn't know because this will bear fruit. I didn't know that. Yeah. So wow. pa- yeah, you know. So, which leads us <laughs> to the, um, the gospile. Now, okay. I don't in know the, if that's any language. Not at all. No. Elvish, maybe. So, <laughs> in uh, Okay, something we have to say, again, just by way of um, backdrop on this. Jesus is speaking in parables, and this is where, you know, the the man, well, so he gives two parables. Jesus spoke to the crowds. This is how it is with the kingdom of God. It's like a man were to scatter seed on the land, and he would sleep at night and rise in the day. And although the seed, and through it all the seed would sprout and grow, he knows not how, although his land yields fruit. He's talking about this, um, you know, in an agrarian culture, which is what they are. I mean, everybody knows, like, during the planting season, you work your tail end off and you work and you get the ground ready and you till the soil and you put in so much work to prepare to plant the food that's actually going to feed your people. Right. But then once it's in the ground, 
there's nothing you can do. You're like, I planted the seed. I put in all the work. I put in all this effort. And then all you can do is wait while you hope that the systems that God has put into the creation of the world actually work and you get fruit and you get food. And he gives another parable, the one about the mustard seed. And how you don't realize the seed, which is the smallest of the seeds, can grow into the biggest of the trees. And we all know the parable of the mustard seed. Um, There's lots of like immediate direct connections with that tree from Ezekiel, with the tree that grows from the mustard seed. It talks about all the birds Birds in the shade. But one thing I have to say about this, which again adds it to the backdrop of the rest of the readings, Jesus, and I think I'm correct in this, Jesus, let's see, how do I say this? Parables are not Jesus's uh, universal teaching style. We think of Jesus speaking in parables because he does it a lot. But if you follow the narrative, you see it in Mark, you see it in Matthew, you see it in the Gospels. Jesus only speaks in parables when he wants to veil something from a lot of people. Oftentimes it has, and it's the seed of judgment. <laughs> yeah, it absolutely is. So in this case, a bunch of people came, we talked about last week, and said, basically, you're working for Satan. He was teaching openly. He was saying what he meant. They said, hey, in, you're working for Satan. You're in, casting out demons. Including his family, which, by the way, he said, you're, you're out of your mind. Yeah, yeah. You're crazy, which, yeah. which I, I mean, I was reflecting on. I didn't say it in my homily mm. last, last weekend, but he says, you're out of your mind. Why? He just chose a revolutionary band to, to, and, and made public a choice of 12 of his cabinet. Absolutely. And, and they're like, dude, do you know you're that crazy. you're, you're, you're sowing sedition? Yeah. You're going, you're, you're actually, are you really about to take on Rome? Because it, by all means, right. It looks like he's forming a little ragtag band that's going to take on the uh, the oppressive army, and they're like, which is not uncommon. Everybody else is doing that too, right? They just made better choices of their cabinet. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and that's the thing is is that from a worldly point of view, right? You go and you're like, are you cray, bro? Mm. Like, like are you are you really stockpiling a bunch of weaponry in your basement? Yeah. Is this what you're about to do? You're building a militia against the most powerful like, empire the world has ever known. Yeah, like are are, are you doing that? And like yeah. you'd go like, how do you how do you convince somebody that they're doing something that's not right? You're like you're you crazy. You make fun of them. Oh. You make fun of them. No, absolutely. <laughs> you go to social pressure. Yeah, they, they are true. saying every your family wants to see you because they think you're crazy. Yeah, and he's like, who are my brothers and sisters? Right, right. Do you think I'm crazy? Yeah, that's what happened last week. And and then it levels up from that, and they're like, "Well, no, you're not just crazy. You're the you're satanic, right?" And you're like, "Oh man!" And it's at that point when Jesus goes cryptic. He's like, "All right, I'm not going to teach this directly anymore. I'm going to use parables because I know that a lot of people will not understand what I'm talking about." And you know, we, t- until I demonstrate the power of what's right, real, right? I need to veil this because you can't take the full force of this yet. Absolutely. It does say continuously. Um, Jesus speaks to the crowds in parables. But then he always pulls the disciples aside and he's like, okay, let me explain what I mean. Which right. is, I always think this is where the full force of John 6 later on comes in. Oh. Where Jesus, you know, says, you got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Every other place he said cryptic stuff, he always pulls the disciples aside and he's like, no, this is what it means. That's the one place where he seems to be speaking metaphorically or cryptically or analogously. And he's like, I'm not clarifying. This is what I mean. I said, I said it clearly. Which but it- if you know how he usually teaches that changes that one which is interesting because this is actually the exact same place 
Yeah, that, absolutely right. That he would have been doing this. This is the same location, which is across from the Great White Synagogue, which mm. is mm. the greatest place of learning. So the scribes are all, these are all the academics. They know and, what's up. And so, I mean, you even look in the reaction of them saying, you're Beelzebul. It might actually be from the, a similar dialogue. Because he could have been could be. outward, and then could after be. this, I mean, now that's w- possible. I mean, it, it's it's all theoretical. You could just meditate on it, and and because yeah. because in a certain mm. sense, Mark goes so fast that yeah. that we don't like we don't see like you're Satan, and it's like okay, Wait, hold what? on, well, that was that was real fast. <laughs> it came out of nowhere. Yeah, exactly. What yeah, did that's you a say? Good point. Like, and and so you say like, oh, you are in league with the devil. I mean, they say because of healings and stuff, but yeah. I mean, it's, well, the exorcisms, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you have the eyes to see it says Jesus later on, then you're going to begin to understand. And so he explains to the, to the disciples what this means. And I mean, I, I keep going back. I mean, the, the mustard seed is beautiful because he's talking, it's direct one-to-one. I mean, if you know the story of Ezekiel 17, I mean, this should be clear. You're like, oh, it's like what Ezekiel was saying about this new tree that was going to grow from the shoot of the old one that was felled and yeah, all the birds are going to come. And he spoke to them about, he's like, now, this is now, that thing that you've been waiting for, that tree that you've been waiting to grow, it's here. It's ready. It's it's about to bear fruit. It's springtime. No. When does fruit get born? <laughs> springtime. Yeah, in the springtime. I didn't think about Flower, that. Flowers, and then flowers bloom in the springtime, and then yeah. fruit in the summer. He's like, it's coming. It's about to bloom, which is why he gives that first parable. I, I keep coming back to that first parable, though, on, on just kind of a human level. You work so hard to plant something, right? And I've, I've, I've planted things, and I'm just lousy at it. I'm a terrible gardener. And we leave for the whole summer to go run a camp. So we're, we've set ourselves up for way disaster. To, way but, to excuse yourself. Thanks, man. But you work hard, but then there is this real level of, now there's nothing I can do. And to equate that to evangelization of actually, if we are the trees, in a certain sense, grafted onto the tree, it really is our job to try to bear fruit in the world. And we work as hard as we can. And those of us who are in ministry, we work and we work and we labor and we go. But then at some point we're like, okay, I have to trust that if God wills it, he's going to grow that fruit in that person's life. And I work as hard as I can. And then I say, all right, you need to take over. What's interesting is I like to describe to people what we do in ministry as providing contexts. Okay. So, um, so what that means is like, I, I'm not in, in charge of the fruitfulness. Yeah, right. Um, but I am in charge of making sure that the the soil isn't exhausted. That's exactly I, right. I'm making sure that um, I'm doing everything in my resources to make sure that that which can grow is has it. Yes. Like uh, I, you know, like if if the rain and the storms are coming, I'm gonna cover my trees in some plastic so right. that the hail doesn't get rid of all the fruit. That's right. You yeah. know, like I'm trying to provide the best context I can for fruitfulness. You're but telling then, you're turning over the soil. Right. Exactly. I'm, tr- I'm I'm making sure that I'm not using weird chemistry so that the bees die. You know. <laughs> Don't kill the bees, man. Don't kill the bees. You know, because that would that would be bad. Uh, well done. So well that done. the so that the tree which we are all grafted onto mm. um, can bear fruit that will last. Into eternity, and that's that's really the the like what you're talking about is it's a becoming and not yet. I mean, it, yes, it, it's it's it. a present but not yet. It's like already, we but not are, yet, yeah. yeah, we are already we are already bearing fruit, but there is fruit that is yet to come, and yes. it's fully fruitful. Yes, it's perfectly fruitful in the context, but the, it it involves patience and a waiting and a responsiveness and right. um, an ability to choose the sufferings that come in and to to say like no, it's not like. I was talking to somebody the other day and they were talking about um, the health and wealth gospel. 
and how everything's just going to be okay. And the promise of that, um, uh, the promise of that is alluring, man. If I follow this God, then Absolutely. everything's going to be good, man. Which is the promise of all gods of all time. That's it. You know what That's I'm saying? Like every if, one of them, right? Which is actually a little bit different mm. when we uh, when we get to Jesus Christ and Christianity. Like, no, it will be all right, and I will bear fruitfulness that's appropriate. But it's going to be way more creative than what you're allowing it for <laughs> to be. Because you have no idea how cool this can actually be if you let me. Right, and you're going to be propelled into the fourth dimension, and you will find communion and suffering, and you will love God and your neighbor, and you will experience love from God and love from your neighbor. That's it. And you'll experience love in your own heart, and you like you'll be brought together. And um, mm. but it does take honesty and forthrightness, and the ability to to be upended. That's it. In a wild, beautiful, wonderful way. I'm pruned. Don't so let him prune you. Ah, I see what you did there. Yeah. Mm. Let him prune you. Let him prune. And graft you. Pruning and grafting. Alright, you guys. Um I got nothing else to say. Me neither. You got anything to say? Nope. Love you guys. We will see you next week. Okay. Bye everybody. Bye. The Word of the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.thomascenter.org slash A-I-C-T. You can send us an email, lankyguys, at thomascenter.org. And we love you guys. Keep us in your prayers.